0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Latter Day Takes. Thanks again for joining me. I'm your host, Harper Anderson. On today's episode, we have got a jam-packed episode full of great stuff, if I do say so myself, obviously. Starting us off, new segment is actually going to be relegated to something special that I forgot to hit on. I meant to hit on it last week, but kind of spaced it. The church responded to the AP News article. I personally thought they did a pretty great job in their response. I cover that. That takes place kind of the whole news segment because I thought that was pretty big news when it came out. I wanted to do it justice. I wanted to talk a little bit more about that in depth, what I thought, how that was handled, things like that. Um, After that, I bring on Jake Hatch, a friend of the show. He's been on before. Jake was gracious enough to join us again. We'll have him on again in the future. Awesome conversation. We get into the mix of the racial incident that took place down at BYU allegedly, which we're seeing kind of a shift in the narrative. Jake and I talk about that. Um, he had some interesting things to say on his own podcast, Locked On Cougars, and he will address that again on his podcast at the end of the week uh, tomorrow. That is Friday, and Jake's great conversation with him. He 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 just knows his stuff. Awesome to have him on. Really really fun to talk to him. So if you're looking to kind of Skip around on this podcast. He is just f- f- chock full of BYU football information. If you don't want to hear much about the church, skip ahead to that. If you'd rather skip ahead to the spiritual thought, that'll come kind of at the end. It's a discussion that I give on why I think some younger people are growing disillusioned with the church, and it has to do with the idea of kind of how the spirit works, how it become push- pushed or pulled in certain directions, and how we ought to kind of go about mitigating those effects, in my opinion, and I share kind of some thoughts on that. Anyway, hope you all enjoy this episode, jam-packed, we'll catch you on the other side, but before I kick you to the rest of the episode, gotta give a quick shout out to my friends at Odyssey Snacks. Odyssey Snacks provides some of the best protein bars I've ever had in my life, I'm not just saying that, I promise, yes, I am affiliate marketing with them, obviously, you have a promo code through me, however, I promise you the only reason why this exists is because these protein bars are actually fantastic. They have prebiotics in them, which is something that's kind of not heard of. It helps the microbiome of the gut, helps you just process things better, all that's good stuff. And it tastes amazing, and they have great macros, which is a great breakdown between carbs, fats, and proteins. Very satisfactory when you eat them, and their flavors are amazing. The banana chocolate chip peanut butter happens to be my favorite but you also have other flavors to choose from, like mint chocolate brownie, peanut butter chocolate chip, dark chocolate almond, mocha chocolate crisp, and actually that's it. But anyway, I know I set that up like there were more, but those are it. Those five flavors for now. Fantastic, check it out. You could use my promo code Harpy ten H A R P E Y one zero at checkout, or you can just go directly to odysseysnacks.com/slash Harpy ten H A R P E Y one zero and you'll be set up with a 10% discount off of any of your purchases. Please check it out. Please let me know how it is. I love them. With that, we will go ahead and toss it to the rest of the episode. Love you all. Have a great week.
1: Mormons are really nice people. Totally nice. They are the yeah. best cult. Have
0: you ever, under the influence of alcohol, questioned
1: the teachings of the Mormon church? Well, These Mormons are so nice. Everybody's so nice. <laughs> Everybody's so nice in Utah. They're all Mormon, right? Yeah. So they're not also drinking. Also, also. And they're like not cussing. They're like... Slovis, you stink. <laughs> I'm, afraid I'm afraid it was, was the Mormons. Moment. Yes, yes, the, the Mormons were the correct answer. Because God loves Mormons and he wants some more. Shout out to the Latter-day Saints.
0: All right, so in lieu of News of the Week, sorry, squeaky chair. You're going to be hearing that a lot. Um, I probably should get some WD-40. Anyway, what I wanted to talk about primarily was the, church, the church's response to the AP News story. I actually thought they did a really good job, and I wanted to highlight that. I forgot to do that last week, so I'm doing it this week. Um, There's not much news, really, that I feel like is of note. We're still kind of talking about student loan forgiveness, things like that. I do want to hit on one thing I saw out there that people are comparing uh, the student loan forgiveness to like, if you went to a church school like BYU, BYU BYU-Idaho, and like BYU-Hawaii, obviously, if you pay tithing and how that's uh, subsidized. Not the same thing, not even close. Because if you go to a state school, it's already subsidized by tax dollars. So that point is completely moot. It's the exact same thing. We're talking about apples and oranges here. You can't just forgive wholesale $10,000, no holds barred, without any question. What you're doing is you're encouraging further bad behavior, you're compounding an already fractured economy and inflation, things like that. So no, that comparison doesn't ring true for me at all, completely hollow. Anyway, all right, let's talk about the church's response, which I want to read a big excerpt from that, because one thing I probably wanted to hit on kind of on my own behalf when two weeks ago when I came out and I talked about this and I gave my thoughts and I spoke pretty harsh Maybe not harsh, but I spoke pretty direct towards the church, and I thought, you know, there were some things that got overlooked. I still stand by that, but I stand by the idea that it's not systemic. Now, granted, I do think there were things that could have been changed with the system. Also, one thing I didn't mention two weeks ago is that um, I've got it under uh, good, uh, good, good sourcing that the church has changed the dynamic of their hotline, and that before it used to be their own social worker's, That would answer the first phone call from bishops, and now it's lawyers. And that can be problematic in the sense of who are they looking out for first. Are they looking out for themselves first, or are they looking out for the victim? And if you have lawyers involved, obviously the lawyer is hired to look out for the church first. So that doesn't sit particularly well with me, but um, regardless, I did like the church's response. I'm going to read a big excerpt. It's actually pretty long, the whole thing, but this excerpt I wanted to read is just uh, like maybe about an eighth to a fourth of it. This is what it says. They go in there, kind of after their intro, they say, what did the Associated Press story get wrong? The AP story has significant flaws in its facts and timeline, which lead to erroneous conclusions. And side note, that's one thing that I wanted to address from my end too, that I never really made this clear, but that to me that was a given, is that assuming this AP story is all true, those were my thoughts. Now granted, I'm very familiar with journalism, I've studied journalism, I've been a journalist. I know that most times, um, not all these things can be confirmed, and so you also have to deal with it from that angle as well. I didn't do a good job addressing that two weeks ago that was assumed to me but probably not assumed by some of my listeners. that's I was only speaking as if it was all 100% true and reported well um, which was just the only angle I could take at the time, right because I couldn't po- prove that any of it was not true so I had to just take it in as it as it was stated. But here we are, and the church is kind of clarifying some of that right now. So, moving forward in their statement. We are puzzled as to why or how a media source, as respected as the Associated Press, would make such egregious errors in reporting and editing. Each of the facts below is contained in public findings in the pending case and is taken from the sworn testimony of Liza Adams, the mother of the victims. The Associated Press was directed to those filings prior to the publication of their first story, but they chose not to include any of them. Those filings, accessible to and familiar to the Associated Press, are the source of the following facts... In late 2011, Paul Adams made a limited confession to his bishop about a single past incident of, child of, one, of abuse of one child. The bishop then called the helpline, where he was advised about how to fully comply with Arizona's reporting laws. In compliance with that counsel from the ta- that time forward, the bishop repeatedly tried to intervene and encourage reporting, including by counseling Paul Adams to repent and seek professional help. Asking Paul Adams to report, he refused, and also refused to give permission to the bishop to make the report. Encouraging Paul Adams' wife, L- Liza... I think it's Liza, it's L-E-I-Z-Z-A, to report she refused and later served time in prison for her role, encouraging Paul Adams to move out of the home, which he did temporarily, urging Liza to to seek professional counseling for Paul and their children, which would trigger a mandatory report. They refused. In 2013, Adams was excommunicated for his behavior and lost his membership in the church. Prior to and after his limited confession, Paul rarely attended church or talked to leaders. It wasn't until 2017, nearly four years later, that church leaders learned from media reports the extent of the abuse, that the abuse had continued, and that it involved a second victim born after Paul's excommunication. The AP story ignores the timeline and sequence of events and implies that all these facts were known by a bishop as early as 2011-2011. A clearly erroneous conclusion. And then they go on to say the suggestion that the helpline is used to cover up abuse is completely false. And then they go into kind of some of those details, which I actually believe. I don't believe it was ever used to cover anything up. I never said that. I never even alluded to it or suggested anything like that. But I actually appreciate the church's statement. And it's kind of like a rare time when you'll see them be just direct and just kind of, hey, like like you guys are just wrong. It's all erroneous. And here's why. And I think we could use more of that in the church, especially nowadays. And what's funny is that we're going to be talking about in today's podcast, I've got Jake Hatch coming on in a bit. We're going to be talking about kind of BYU's response to this racial incident that took place at the women's volleyball game last weekend. And it's kind of similar. Like BYU and the church have very similar approaches to PR, which is like, hey, like let's not punch back. That's like maybe their fourth uh In priority list of priorities, like first is like, hey, how do we do this as softly as possible? Two, how do we defend ourselves? Three, whatever. And then fourth, finally, we can hit back. And it seems like they just kind of ran out of options here with the church and the AP news article because of that AP news article being so harsh. They're just like, hey, you guys are wrong, and here's why. And I want to see maybe a little bit more of that, not because I want to see the church punch back, so to speak, but what I do want to see is the church defend themselves. And you know what? That doesn't mean they're not being loving. I've talked about this before. Just because the church is going to be aggressive in their stance of what they're doing and it, and being confident in what they do does not mean that they're not loving because love is conveyed or rather love the true measurement of love is is based on how it is given, not how it is received. How it is received is subjective. I've talked about that before on this podcast. Anyway, I wanted to address that because I thought they did a pretty good job. Now, that doesn't mean they're perfect, obviously. And I've talked about that before. Organizations, they're not perfect. Um, A lot of times when they're run by men, you're going to have imperfect men and women. You're going to have times where things get lost between the cracks and people get hurt. And you know what? That doesn't mean that the construct that the organization is built around is any less true. And that's my ultimate stance. So with that being shared... We're going to go ahead and toss it to myself and Jake Hatch talking about the incident that took place on the BYU women's volleyball game, as well as a preview of the BYU football season to come, what to get excited for, who to look for, what to expect, things like that. Jake is a BYU insider. He's been on the podcast before. He comes with a wide depth of knowledge when it comes to all things BYU sports, and I'm so honored and happy that he decided to take time to come onto the podcast. All right. Joining me on the podcast today is Jake Hatch, at Jacob C. Hatch on Twitter. Give him a follow. Great follow, BYU Insider. Love the scoops that he's always given us. Has a daily podcast, Locked on Cougars. We've had him on the podcast before. Jake, welcome back. So happy to have you, especially considering all the things that we need to discuss today. How have you been, man?
1: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. I'm excited to be back on the show.
0: Good, good. Well, you've been busy. There's no question about that.
1: Football season, for you. man.
0: <laughs> yeah, can we? Oh my gosh, can we just take a second and just rejoice? I mean, football season finally back. I don't know what it. I actually know. Who am I kidding? I know exactly what it is. The hype around BYU's football team this year is bigger than it's been. I think. I mean, what what are we talking here? It's got to be. I mean, would it just be since two thousand nine, since we were pre, last pre-ranked in the season, uh, pre-season
1: ranked? Yeah, probably. It, it, the thing is, like, after going back-to-back double-digit win seasons, you win 21 games the past two years. You're right. There's, there's a bunch of hype for the squad because this is supposed to be another payoff year for BYU. 2021 is supposed to be the rebuilding year for the Cougars with Jaron Hall. They still won 10 games. So yeah. this year, like, okay, what can you do for an on-course? So that's why I think the expectations are pretty high.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here too much because I do want to actually start the show – This episode, specifically this segment with you, talking about kind of a a big news story that broke Friday night, I believe. It was the BYU women's volleyball game, to kind of give an overview there. Mm -hmm. A women's volleyball player, Rachel Richardson, had said that there was a fan, a student, in the student section, a fan in the student section that was saying the N-word, saying this very, very racist word, obviously, directed at her every time she had served. And that blew up nationally. Um, her godmother, who is, I believe, running for county judge somewhere in Texas, took that on Twitter, ran with it, and then it just kind of became a life of its own. LeBron yeah. James tweeting about it, Stephen A. Smith talking about it on First Take. I mean, it's, it's anywhere and everywhere. And people are just immediately um, throwing out their opinions. And there's a few things I want to cover. First of all, I actually listened to your podcast that you dropped um i believe it was monday morning i mean it was dated morning, yeah. sunday but i well, don't think you released I, one on sunday
1: well i released it sunday night i i, oh, I gotcha. knocked it out and just, i released it early it would it's the monday edition of my show but i released it early sunday evening
0: gotcha yeah so i i busted that one out you had some very strong things to say about that and here's the thing i 100 percent agree with you everything mm-hmm. you said so long as it's true correct yeah And that being the ultimate caveat, because right now we're starting to see there seems to be somewhat of a shift in the mainstream media, even you've got the trib actually starting to say, maybe there wasn't a racist word thrown out. Mm
1: -hmm. And that's
0: kind of where we're at right now. And, you know, I actually talked to someone who's fairly close to the athletics department and, um, not, not necessarily wanting to like, you know, divulge who, but, uh, they had mentioned that, I mean, actually, we already know the information now. It's, it's, it's come out there, but they were actually telling me this yesterday, that the athletic program, BYU Athletics, the administrative side, so Tom, Homo, and crew, were looking deeply. They were investigating because they wanted to root it out. I mean, that was their goal. They wanted to say, hey, if it's there, we're going to find it. Here's the problem. They couldn't find it anywhere. They had scoured the videos for evidence. They had mm-hmm. talked to multiple and multiple, multiple people that were at the game. They had police officers giving reports. And they still could not find any single person, which begs the question, did it happen? I'm not and, – and, and I'm not going to say, oh, Rachel Richardson's just a liar. I could completely – like, I'm fine with her thinking that she may have heard that. I mean, it's terrible. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I'm glad she did or whatever, but – it's a terrible situation but it seems like to some degree BYU and their fan base has been somewhat maybe exonerated what do you think about that
1: well and that, that see, that's the thing about it i I'm, i need to do another episode of my podcast and address this cuz i've had a bunch of people as this week's progressed as the, as news is it filtered out there are new new layers to this story because you're right. The police officers in particular, there's a, a detective, I, I don't remember his name, he, he's, a, he's a sergeant within the BYU Police Department who was stationed uh, by the Duke bench during the second, uh, if, I, if I recall this correctly, he was by that Duke bench during the second set when she allegedly heard the very first racial slurs according to what she said. Then in the fourth set, he was standing in front of the rock student section where allegedly those slurs came out of and he said, Said he heard nothing. He said he heard people uh, directing uh, comments at the Duke players, trying to distract them while they're trying to serve and that type of stuff. But he said he never heard a racial slur. And uh, let, 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 so, th- with all of the information now at hand. I'm with you. I'm not 100% convinced that uh, that a slur was necessarily uttered, but I also am not ready to say that Rachel Richardson was lying. I think that there are so many different caveats to all this. The reason I said what I said on Monday is because I was doing it in direct response to the multiple statements that BYU put out over the weekend trying to tamp this down. That's so that's where the kind of I think some people cause I've had people coming after me as the weeks progressing. Well, you're gonna recant what you had to say. I'm not gonna recant what I had to say because racism needs to be rooted out in our society. There's no doubt about that. The situation is though this story, there are new layers, new new storylines I I don't know new evidence that's emerging because you're right they've scoured that film back forwards and as many times as they possibly can from every angle trying to find out what's going on this guy that was actually banned from BYU's campus it's BYU's campus it's an indefinite ban but according to the Deseret News he may have Asperger's or he'd be on the autism spectrum so there yeah (laughs) I saw that too yeah so there are so many caveats to this story that I'm not sure that we're ever going to get to the bottom of it, but as more and more information comes to light, it sure looks like there may have been a, a misinterpretation or somebody heard something that they thought they heard uh, there there's a lot more to this story than what we knew when I originally was talking about this yeah on Sunday evening,
0: yeah, so i the the you had mentioned the statement that BYU had put out because I remember initially thinking like, I, and I, I mean, I heard about it right away. Like I'm on yeah. Twitter. I, I have mm-hmm. friends on Twitter and they're like, are you seeing this? And you know, they're telling me, they're saying apparently the BYU, like some fans said the N word and it was directed yeah. at a, a, a black woman volleyball player for Duke. And there's just all sorts of things going on. And I mean, my immediate thing is to pump the brakes anyway and to say, well, okay, let's wait for more information to come out, which by the way, I hate that just suggesting that is like, oh, how dare you? (laughs) I'm like, am I supposed to take every, like, I'm sorry that there's been a precedent established for Mm -hmm. people that actually do cry wolf. I mean, that, that story has been in existence for how long, right? That is an analogy of life, that people actually do say things just to get a rise out of people. Unfortunately, those people do exist. Like I said, I'm not saying Rachel Richardson was one of those people necessarily, mm-hmm. but saying, hey, let's pump the brakes. The Jussie Smollett, Smollett however you say that, that situation is, is kind of what comes to mind here. Because Now, granted, he might have had like actual motivations behind doing what he did, but that's sure. been basically widely proven as a hoax, right? Now, I'm reminded of that because it's so recent. But anyway, sorry, I'm getting a little bit tangential here. BYU comes out and they say, and this is where I kind of had a problem too, and it's kind of along the lines of what you're talking about. BYU makes their statement and they say, we have apprehended the fan and we've kicked them out and banned them. They are not a BYU student. They do not directly or explicitly say that that fan has been confirmed to be the one that used the racist slur. Correct. But they definitely alluded to it
1: because mm-hmm.
0: they didn't full-on say it has been confirmed, but they also didn't say it's been unconfirmed. So you, my immediate thoughts were, oh, well, if BYU says they caught the person, then it must have been true. Like it must have been a BYU fan that actually was saying racial slurs directed at a, another player uh, of right. the opposite team. And you're kind of thinking like, okay, then that's terrible and let's put that to bed and everything. But then it comes out. And it seemed like, to me, BYU is trying to just, like, get ahead of it as soon as possible. Yes. And I think they did a really bad job of that, personally. I think they should have also said... And I understand they're kind of between a rock and a hard place. But looking back at it, hindsight is twenty twenty, It should have been something more along the lines of, we're investigating the situation. We have talked to... We have apprehended a fan that has been definitely in the mix, taunting, things like that. But we're doing a full-on investigation to see where we can... When it comes to the racial slur, I don't know. I mean, I, I just felt like BYU handled it poorly, and now they're having to like kind of walk some of that back, and now say we actually
1: haven't found anything. Well, and see, and that's the thing about it. I think BYU, and you're right. I, I the hindsight is 2020. We all we we talk about that all the time, and especially in circumstances like this, BYU tried to get ahead of this because they knew the avalanche that was coming on them. And the avalanche came. We all saw that. The, the, every outlet nationally, no matter how reputable or unreputable, or whatever, however you term that, they all went after BYU. Racist institution, they got blah, 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 all of the different things that, that you would expect to come out about BYU. And BYU, yes, I think they were trying to get ahead of this. They wanted to be sensitive to this student-athlete's uh, feelings and make sure that she felt like she was taken care of. They wanted to make sure Duke uh, felt like they were okay. All of that they wanted to make sure everything was handled on on that end but you're right i think uh, but so let me let me say this the reason they said their statement in my opinion is they were trying to get ahead of what they knew was an inevitable avalanche coming downhill at them but i'm with you they probably if they felt like there were there were any uh potential reasons why this were untrue or they didn't necessarily have the right guy etc they could have handled it better by saying we are looking into this we're investigating it the the shotgun nature of the statements that BYU put out essentially was judge jury and executioner this happened It's sealed signed and delivered their DOA Like that, that's the way it felt from the weekend but as the week has progressed you're right BYU's had to walk back a little bit of this uh, Tom Homo has asked for people to send in evidence whether video or audio so that they can examine that. They've been looking at this film, so it feels like they may, yeah, in some ways jump the gun with the statements they made because that's what caused all of this. Well, yeah, they admitted it, so therefore they're guilty.
0: That That is, and that's, I think, what, like, as soon as BYU made that statement, they yeah. the, majority of the people reacted how I did, which was like, well, it must have happened then. And so then you open up the floodgates for Uh people to then who have a bone to pick with BYU. And that's the part where I would just, I stop short because, I mean, granted, for the record, you doing what you did, assuming Mm -hmm. it was true, I get that. And it's like, hey, if this is true, then this. And that's Mm -hmm. where I agree 100%. Um, But then you have people coming out of the woodwork saying... BYU's always been racist. You know, we've always had racial problems and things like that. And it's kind of like, oh, gosh, really?
1: It, 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 it opened the book to BYU being under the gun. It opened the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and their history to being under the gun. It opened a book that BYU tried, I think, to head off as much as they possibly could. But no matter how much they tried to head it off, you knew all of that was going to come.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's funny to me, like, one of the things that got overlooked – very quickly and it isn't until like right now where I'm starting to see this kind of emerge a little bit more uh, I don't know if you're familiar with who Jimmy Rex is but he he tweeted out something and I was like this is actually maybe the most underrated narrative and in fact I had another friend who texted me
1: he mm-hmm. was in the
0: middle of the night too so obviously this had been on his mind he's a big fan of BYU goes to a lot of the sporting events Correct. and he was actually telling me he's like you know I was at and I'm going to get to Jimmy Rex's tweet in a second because it's all related Mm-hmm. He's like, I was at an NIT game, and I was sitting in the student section because there wasn't really an official student section. It's kind of anyone could sit anywhere, and I wanted to be with the rowdy crowd. So I was with the rowdy crowd, and at one point in the game, a, a student or a fan had thrown, like, a trash can on the court. Oh. Oh, this is a BYU game.
1: I, I remember this, actually. I do remember yeah. this. Yeah.
0: He said, immediately. All the the fans were pointing out that student. They were chastising that student. They were saying, what are you doing? The security came, apprehended the person, boom, done. Like judge, jury, executioner, like you said, done on the spot. And Jimmy Rex had tweeted, he's like, BYU is notorious for having a bunch of tattletales. The (laughs) fact that nobody has come forward and said, I know who did it, it was that person – and that instead people would rather believe that there's widespread racism to the point where others will even say, I'm going to actually be hush-hush about this because I'm also racist. I'm not going to even point a finger at who's saying it. It's like that you're having 6,000 people all say – and you had, and people have pointed out BYU's basketball team, which has a handful of black people on it as well, that were at the game because we know athletes are incentivized to, to actually attend other athletic events, so they yes. do that often – They were there. They didn't hear anything. you're kind of sitting here like, so we would rather believe that that was the case, that it's all systemic, as opposed to the fact that maybe something got lost in the mix here. Anyway, me having attended BYU, and I don't know if this was your experience as well, I have never actually experienced a more consistent, overzealous group when it comes to, like, pointing out problems and, like, doing their whatever it is they can to... to, call fire where they see it you know i mean when you deal with the intramurals like when they're saying if you missed a if you missed a one day of shaving you weren't playing and Uh it's like you could be clean shaven like we were all like we were practically pre-pubescent at the time and it's like did Uh you shave today And it's like well i don't have anything on my face right now and they're like doesn't matter the rule is if you didn't shave today you're not playing If you're trying to take a test at the testing center, you're like, hey, can I, like, did you shave today? No, sorry, you can't take a test. Denied. There was one time where I was trying to get a job on campus. I got hired, and they're like, you have 30 days to show two forms of identification. I go to the office on day 29. Okay. And and I'm like, hey, here are my two forms of identification. She's like, sorry, you have to shave. And I'm like, you understand if I don't show two forms of identification, BYU gets fined like $10,000 for employing me. You understand that, right? Fortunately, I came on day 30, shaved, boom, whatever, we were fine. But I'm just like, this is the, the, the high, the overzealousness to uh-huh. BYU. I mean, it's, it, is, it is a plenty there. And the fact that that didn't get pointed out in, like, earlier, was kind of, it was kind of an underrated narrative, I thought.
1: Well, and you're right, because trust me, my experience at BYU very similar. I can vividly remember playing a flag football game where I showed up, and I, at that time I couldn't grow facial hair for the, for the life of me. And I remember them saying, well, did you shave today? And inadvertently I said, no, I shaved yesterday. And they're like, no, you can't play. I'm like – I don't, I don't have anything on my like, – I, I got sent home to shave. I'm like, okay, whatever. And you're right. There is an overzealous um, snitch-type culture at BYU that exists. And the funny thing is, though, in this circumstance, that's kind of been cast by the wayside because I think immediately – and I'll, I'll admit, I, I rushed to judgment because I just took what BYU was putting out there as the final say. Like, this happened, so let, mm-hmm. let's, let's address it. But – as things have progressed, you're right. There, maybe we, all of us. I, I'm talking to the collective we out there. Yeah, absolutely, we're a, little, we're a little too hasty in all of this. And for Jimmy to put that out there, I haven't talked to Jimmy in a hot minute, but he is a BYU fan through and through, and exactly. he's got a very good. He's got a very, very good point there. That it is, it is a very large snitch culture with BYU and their honor code. So yeah. that 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 is an underrated point to all of this. I I, I will completely agree there.
0: Yeah. So. Totally get that. Look at us now, though, with both just solid <laughs> facial hair. Just we've come a long way, you know.
1: <laughs> you, get, you get into your 30s. You get out of BYU and you say, you know what? I'm going to grow my facial hair out. Let's do this thing. Yeah, so, yeah.
0: exactly. Man. Well, with that, I'd love to transition if you do, unless you wanted to say a little bit
1: more there. Well, and so I just, there's one other thing on this is, yes, is, is racism an institutional thing with BYU? I don't believe it is. But the, the, the thing about what's going on with this is you're right, the narrative out there, I feel like in many ways, no matter if this is completely debunked, like if, it, if it turns out that this was a quote-unquote Jussie Smollett type case or this is a situation where there is some evidence on both sides that support both sides of it, no matter what happens, I feel like the damage has been done. That that's the thing. The, the damage is done, and there's nothing I feel like that's going to happen between now and whenever that is going to put any of that back into where back from where it came. So, that's the only sad part about this. No matter how this ends up, the damage on all sides is done, and there's no there's no going backwards. And that that's oh, the sad part about this. Hundred
0: percent. I mean, it's the classic like when a newspaper has to print a retraction. redaction whatever it's called it's like always on the back page small print Uh it's there because like i mean i don't know if there's legal ramifications to it but it's there just to kind of maintain their integrity or whatever but it's Mm -hmm. there it's like when you spend 24 48 hours in the news cycle and it's byu and racist in the same sentence what ramifications are there going to be years down the road there's a fallout that has already taken place and now you've got big 12 bloggers saying byu shouldn't be allowed in the big 12 until we've got like until they do well, a complete check top to bottom.
1: And that's not even a, that's not even a blogger. That's a columnist for the Fort, Fort Worth Star-Telegram, oh Mac God. Engels. When yeah. the, he, wrote, he wrote an op-ed saying that BYU needs to have very clear delineated rules set forth when they come into this conference. They need to have the Big 12. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So, yeah, the damage is done. And that, that's the sad part about this whole deal.
0: Yeah. Anyway, well, Jake, I appreciate you wanting to address that. Best of luck mm-hmm. addressing that again on your podcast. I'll be looking forward yeah. to catching
1: that one. Are you releasing that tomorrow? Uh, so that'll probably be on my Friday one. Actually, tomorrow on my podcast, Clark Barrington, BYU offensive lineman. Oh, that's right. You mentioned that. He's, yeah, uh, he's, I've got an NIL deal with him to come on weekly, so we're actually releasing that one tomorrow, and I'll probably address this more on Friday's edition of the show.
0: Love that, man. Love that. So wait, real quick then, now that we're on that topic, how, <laughs> what was behind the process of picking him for the NIL deal, and how did that play out?
1: Okay, so I've got a really funny background with Clark. Uh, my best friend in the entire world, we've been really tight since we were in high school. We played high school football together. His younger brother actually was Clark's trainer on his mission. They served together in Uganda, of all places, in Africa. And. Oh, wow. Uh, his name's Derek. When he got home from his mission, I, I was at his uh, homecoming. He's like, hey, by the way, I trained a kid on my mission. who's going to be playing football for BYU because he knew what I'd do. i do. I cover the Cougars and everything for my radio job. And uh, I said, okay, well, that's cool. I'll have, to, I'll have to hit him up when he gets back. Well, he got back and I, one of his very first practices, speaking of Clark, he's walking across the field and I'm like, hey, Clark, uh, you don't know me. My name's Jake. I am actually a good friends with the Le Cheminant family, uh, Derek uh, in particular. And he's like, you know Derek? I'm like, yeah, his older brother, Nick, is my best friend in the entire world. So we got to talking. So so I have known Clark since essentially the day he showed up at BYU just by way of introduction via his mission. And we've talked off and on throughout the years. And when NIL came about, I just started thinking about different opportunities. And my radio station last year, we actually did weekly interviews with athletes from both BYU and Utah. And I figured, you know what? I've got a little uh, scratch with this podcast that i built up. I- I've saved some of this dough. Let's have some fun with this. So I reached out to Clark and said, hey. Gauge his interest. Are you interested in doing something like this? He said, yeah, absolutely. And he and he actually said, the reason I'm, I'm willing to do it with you, and because he had turned down apparently other opportunities to do such things. He says, because I got the relationship with you. Yeah. So the, 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 he, he knew who I was. He knew I wasn't going to put him on blast and uh, bring him on in the show and kind of shock jock type of stuff. Right. yeah. So, yeah, it, it goes back, funny enough, to his mission and me knowing his trainer of all things. That's awesome, man. How about that? Les Sheminot, by the way, is a name I
0: know. I don't know if there's a Doug Les that happens to be connected to this family at all.
1: Probably. It probably, probably is at some level. It's like every other hatch in the entire world in my life. One hell of a last
0: name. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, well, so let's get into this. The Barringtons, by the way, huge, oh, yeah. enormous human beings, both of those brothers <laughs> Yeah. I mean, we, we saw him. Were you at the scrimmage, by the way?
1: I was not there. I, I heard a lot about it, though.
0: Yeah, so I covered that on the podcast. I was there with a couple of buddies. They came on. We talked about it. We saw the Barrington brothers signing autographs later, and we're walking past them. And we're like, oh, my gosh. It's just unbelievable to see some of these guys yeah. in person. But all right. So this well, year. All right. Sorry. What are you going to
1: say? Can I add? I was going to say Absolutely. a tidbit on that. Clark, when he got home from his mission in Uganda, he weighed like thirty pounds. He's now like three hundred and ten, three hundred and twenty pounds. It's crazy no the transformation. The same he's height, in. yeah. The same he height, yeah. Almost he's just
0: hundred pounds, well, something like that. Yeah, he has the frame to do so. <laughs> Good for him. Holy yeah. cow. And you know yeah. what? He didn't look like a lot of those offensive linemen. You're like, yeah, they're carrying like you could see it, like where that weight sits. They don't look yeah. like that. I mean, you have to right to be that big. You're just going to go in some places, obviously. But like, it is not one of those. You do not have like this huge punch just out there. Like it is everywhere. The weight is everywhere. Yeah.
1: yeah. That's awesome. They, they, they are a different type of human. There's no doubt about that. They
0: really are, man. Genetic freaks. Um, well, this year, man, let's talk about it. I got to pick your brain. So mm-hmm. let's go through this a little bit. Um, what does a successful season look like to you? Because we are going to be put through the gauntlet right off the bat. And I even think... Excuse me. You can throw South Florida in that as well, just because Florida is such a unique and tough place Mm -hmm. traditionally for BYU to play. It's going to be hot. It's going to be rainy. You pointed that out in your podcast, and I love that you asked the question to Kalani, and you're like, "Hey, how 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 is like the rain going to play a role here?" And he mentions the Lavelle stuff with the weather, which I didn't even know. And he apparently like Lavelle was just like known to just like get weather to like cooperate with the team whenever he needed it. That was a little funny, little tidbit that you threw in there, but.
1: And and that's the thing about it. Uh, Kalani's dead on because I've heard that story from multiple BYU players. Lavelle, for some reason, they'd be like looking at the weather outside like, hey, it's raining. Lavelle may uh, say that practice is going to be canceled and whatnot. And they said inevitably Lavelle would start walking out to the practice field and like the skies would clear. They're like he had some crazy ability to control the weather.
0: I'm surprised he didn't like get the nickname Poseidon at some point or something like that. Like Lavelle Poseidon Edwards. (laughs) Um, let's talk. So USF is going to be challenged, but then obviously we've got Baylor, but in Provo, which I feel a lot better about personally, and then Oregon at Oregon, I will be at that game. Um, how, like, what are we thinking here? Like eight, eight and four, nine, three, seven and five. What do you think?
1: Uh, well, see the, the thing about this is, and if you're if you're a betting man, uh, you you can go and look at the over under win totals, and it's anywhere between eight and a half or nine games at most uh, sites that I have seen, and that, that's I think right where BYU is kind of at a tipping point. Uh, I've had enough people on my podcast say, "Hey, where, where are you thinking, Jake? I think nine and three is the benchmark I think for success for BYU this year. They've got four preseason top twenty teams on the schedule. You mentioned two of them, Baylor and Oregon, uh, weeks two and three. Then later on in means. October." Uh, yeah, exactly, and then you also have uh, Notre Dame and Arkansas coming up back to back in mid November, uh, mid October, excuse me. So those four games, I feel like in many ways will br- make or break this season. So I-, I think if you go nine and three for BYU this year, I think that's a pretty darn good year, all things considered. Entering the season, we all know that seasons play out in different ways. Injuries, all that stuff affect them. But if I think if BYU gets to ten wins this year, we're talking about maybe the best of the three of the last three years. Of ten plus wins because just considering the the degree of difficulty this year, I think has been upped significantly over twenty 2020 twenty and
0: twenty twenty one. That's right. And what's our bull tie in this year?
1: Uh, they're a free agent technically once again oh, this just year. Like last so they. Year? they, they, they... Yeah, they're they're guaranteed to play in a game, and uh, ESPN will find a spot for them. There are some parameters out there. They could end up playing in, like, Phoenix and some other other spots. But they could play anywhere in the country at this point. Let's just put it that way.
0: That can be exciting, but it didn't really work out too well last year. I really think just getting UAB in that bowl was just, like, so Uh crushing. It was kind of like, yeah, we just weren't up for it. And that's what led to the loss, ultimately, I think. But.
1: and, and the players and coaches have actually acknowledged that. They said that we just weren't up for that game. Eliza Tuiaki, the guy... Eliza might be the most guarded interview of all the coaches on BYU staff, in my opinion. And he laid it out. He's like, you know what? We went into that game. A lot of us were down about the bowl opponent, the, the, the location, just the way things were going. And we didn't play our best. So, yeah, they they have admitted that yeah that was that was a letdown so uh, the hope is this year you maybe get a little better bowl location cuz Boca Raton I was at that Boca Raton bowl in 2020 I know it's not a very big bowl game but it was in Boca Raton Florida that's much better than Independence Bowl in Shreveport Louisiana no offense yeah
0: no I get it I totally get it um yeah and I would agree like so you said 9 is the threshold for success so 8 I, yeah. we're disappointed yeah.
1: uh y- I think if they went 8-4, and four, I think there would be a modicum of BYU fans who said that, that that's not the year that they expected. I, I think that, but as I said, every season plays out differently. If all four of those uh, preseason top 20 teams, who knows, uh, Harper, if they end up being top 10 caliber teams and you battle every single one of them and you're you're in the game... If you go eight and four, and you win the eight games outside of that, and you were in every single one of those contests, you just dropped them in the end. I think eight and four at that point might be looked at as actually a pretty successful year. But I feel like you need to pick off at least one or two of those. You
0: know what that is? That's flashes of twenty sixteen.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I would completely agree with what you just said right there because twenty sixteen in many ways was that exact same thing.
0: Yeah, that's Kalani's first year. The four losses they had were like like combined of like nine points or something like yes. that. Yeah. Yeah, It was a tough schedule, too. So how do we do against USF? What do you think?
1: Uh, I think BYU's going to go in there, and I think they're going to handle their business. I think this is a veteran squad. You're right. The history of BYU playing in Florida, it's not good. Let's be very clear about that. You look at the records. They have lost so many times there. I think the first time they actually won Florida, at least in a long time, was that Boca Raton Bowl in 2020. It might have been actually the very first win in, in Florida, if, I, if I've got my uh, history right. But... I think this BYU squad, they're motivated. They've got a veteran-laden squad. They've got a guy like Jaron Hall who's been through this before. His first start came in Tampa the last time they played USF in 2019. So I think this squad understands what they're up against. The rain is going to be a factor if it, if the forecasts hold, but the, the the same thing at the same time, the humidity, the relative humidity, and the temperature due to that rain should be significantly lowered. So that actually plays to BYU's advantage in some ways.
0: That's a good point. That's a really good point. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Um, so I've got a source mm-hmm. directly tied to the football program. Hashtag
1: sources. Are we going to sources? Yeah. Let's we're go.
0: Hashtag sources, man. Yeah. Who uh, thinks the, the secondary is going to be questionable? And okay. the fact that this person thinks that is actually troubling in my mind, mm-hmm. what do you think? And I know you actually you had Ed Lamb on your podcast yeah. um, talking about, because he, he's overseeing the secondary, now part of the safety specifically. Safety correct, yeah. And that's the part of the secondary that has come into question according to the person I've talked to. What do you think?
1: Well, One part of the safety tandem, I think, is set, and that's Malik Moore. He was very good a year ago. But the question mark last year and also this year is who is the other safety? Who is the other guy opposite of Malik Moore, and will they hold up? They've got Ammon Hanneman, who's going to be the starter for BYU in this game. They moved Micah Harper from cornerback to that spot. I'm convinced, by the way, if Micah Harper had not suffered some injuries during training camp, he probably is actually the starter opposite Malik Moore at safety there. I just think that Ammon Hanneman was available. The best ability is availability. Uh, and I think the, the question will be if Whoever's that other safety opposite of Malik Moore They've got to hold up their end of the bargain Because you're right that That's the one uh, weakness it feels like For this secondary I think you got some pretty proven options At cornerback And both D'Angelo Mandel and Caleb Hayes As well as this Gabe Judy yeah, Lally Yeah, the corners
0: guy. could be really good actually
1: but the thing about it, Harper, is the corners, the, f- the, the top level of the corners, the, the ones and twos, very, very good. You suffer an injury, though, whether it's with the safeties or the cornerbacks, that's where I think your source, they're, they're right. You get to the second level, the, the twos and threes here for this secondary for BYU, suddenly you're looking at a lot of unproven options, and that's where the concern is. They've got to stay healthy with their starters.
0: So he was specifically um, talking about tackling. Okay,
1: I, I can see that, yeah.
0: And kind of Malik Moore was the one that came into question a little bit, that he doesn't really wrap up too well. And so if Hanneman mm-hmm. – Hanneman, I would bet, is pretty physical because I remember his brother, <laughs> like, never held back. His brother was like, I'm just going to go get him. And it's a very athletic family. Those Hannemans are aw- were always awesome to watch. So that's kind of exciting to see that this new one, this, the youngest one coming uh, into the mix now and see him play. Is he pretty physical?
1: Do you know anything about him really in that regard? yeah. He's actually—I would describe him as a, as a rugged player. You're right. The Hanneman family—they have similar to the Kafusi's. They've been very good to BYU over the years. Like, there's a ton of Hannemans have been through. I know the Kafusi name is probably more widely known among BYU fans because there's more Kafusis out yeah. there. The Hannemans—they got a lot of talent in their own right. And Ammon—he is a guy who's a more rough and tumble player. I feel like than a guy like Malik Moore. Uh, Malik. Uh, I'm with I'm with your source he doesn't necessarily wrap up all the time he's not necessarily the most uh, sure sure-handed tackler but as a free safety, I think he can get away with that a little more than a guy like Ammon Hanneman, who's going to be the strong safety. You're, as a strong safety, by definition, your job is to come up and run support. You're supposed to play a little closer to the offensive line and play in run support. So I think Ammon's actually better suited for the position he's playing in. But the one thing i also add about Micah Harper, who is the backup at strong safety behind Ammon Hanneman, one thing I loved about Micah Harper during 2020 when he was starting at cornerback for BYU was that he was a fearless tackler. He was a true freshman, yeah. 17, 18 years old before his, tour his ACL. This was a dude, I'm like this guy's got no fear. He would come up, I don't he didn't care who it was. It could be a 250-pound running back and he's like I'm going to take you on head head on. So that that's the type of thing that if if they are capable of being the tacklers that maybe Malik struggles a little bit there, that probably makes up for Malik not being the best tackler.
0: What's the status? We, we have information that potentially, and you, and you had actually mentioned this and you, on your own podcast. You had said you think yeah. one of the two, Romney and Nakua, you think one of them will play, but not both. The, what yeah. I saw on Twitter, and I'm sure you saw the same thing, was that we have reason to believe neither of them will actually. They're, like, they're, they're, this person on Twitter says, don't, like, don't be surprised if neither of them play. Why is it that you think one will, but maybe not both?
1: Uh, well, can I just, I'll, I'll use the same thing. I've got a source, and I actually, I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll tell you this, Harper. Uh, this actually came to me right before we started recording. Actually, I got a text message from somebody who's far more in the know on this. Puka Nakua, I will stake a lot that he is the guy that goes of the two. I- I'm like fully expecting, I'm like 95% certain that he plays in this game. Gunnar Romney, 50-50 right now. So I- I'm fairly certain that Puka is going to play in this game. Not so sure on Romney, so I'm feeling pretty confident that my my. One of the two prediction will hold strong here.
0: Oh, I love that, man. This is breaking news right here. Breaking news. Unfortunately, it is a podcast and won't be uh, out there for a few hours. But awesome. Thanks for sharing that, man. So how much of this has to do with the fact that they're just thinking it is South Florida. No point in really risking it. Whereas if it were Baylor, if it were Oregon, they'd be like, we're playing both of you. We don't care. We got to risk it. You guys are our guys.
1: Well, Kate, okay, let, me, let me add one thing on this. Gunnar Romney last year suffered two mm-hmm. torn, uh, torn MCLs. They're, they're sprains. I know The sprained MCL is actually a tear. I, I don't know how many people actually know that in the medical. I actually didn't, uh, yeah. So it, it's, a, it's a partial tear of that MCL ligament, and you can play through it if you can bear the pain a lot of times. And Gunnar Romney, to his credit, suffered two of those. He suffered the one in the Arizona game, and then later on in the season, like midseason, he had another one. I remember which game. I've been Washington State. I don't recall exactly, but he barely missed any time with both of those. I think he missed maybe one game between both of those. I had no idea
0: about Arizona. Holy cow. Yeah, I think it was Arizona where he originally got.
1: Exactly. He got rolled up on. It was actually run blocking both times. Had a guy roll up on his knee, and he he sprained that MCL twice last year. He told the medical staff, brace it up. I'm playing. So if 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 Gunner's capable of playing – I'm, I'm hard-pressed to say that he's being told he's going to sit out because it's just USF. I think there may be some injury concern that, hey, we need to give him a little bit of time.
0: Dang. Wow. Okay. Well, best wishes to, to him then. Good to see that Puka's most likely back. But we're going to need both those guys to, uh, for Baylor and Oregon, in my opinion. With that yeah. said, we do have a pretty awesome receiving core, it seems like, overall. but um, well,
1: and, um, Can I add one thing to this, please, by the way? Please. Please. Uh, I know that the wide receivers get a lot of the headlines. There's a guy that I think BYU fans need to appreciate. He's been mentioned a lot. Let me be very clear about this. Dallin Holker. I'm telling you, folks, he's back. He looks better than ever. He had his own injury concerns during training camp, but the better part of two weeks now, he's been out there at every practice participating. And if they do miss a guy like Gunnar Romney... I'm telling you, Dallin Holker—he's capable of going out into that slot area where, like a guy like Neil Pauu last year played, or a Samson Nakua, and being just as effective there as he is at tight end. So, yeah, you—you you miss out on not having Gunnar Romney potentially out there. But I'm—I'm, I'm, man, I'm really confident that Dallin Holker is more than capable of filling that void.
0: Well, Holker's got some speed too. Like that's—he
1: played, he played wide receiver in high school.
0: Yeah, Holker's—I actually—that's—that's that's a really good point. Like I didn't really. We kind of—it's easy to overlook that because obviously it's—he's battling it out with. Um, yeah. I'm totally running a blank on the other tight end.
1: Isaac Rex is the Isaac other Rex. guy, obviously, and Rex is more of your traditional he's tight a traditional end.
0: Traditional tight end, yeah. He doesn't quite have the speed, but he's great. He's a more of a blocking oh, yeah. tight
1: end. Well, Isaac Rex is all a 6'6", 260 pounds. He's like the prototypical tight end. If you could create a tight end, Isaac Rex is who you'd go after. Dallin Holker is more of your Dennis Pitta type. Yeah. Six foot five, 225, 230, but can run incredibly well. And that's a nice tandem to have there. So th- that's the reason why that missing out on Gunner in this type of a game, if you need to give him a week or two to get healthy, well, this is the game to miss probably. And you say, hey, Dallin, you're getting some extra targets this week.
0: That's not a bad idea. Um, didn't Pitta play receiver in high school too?
1: He did. And he walked to the BYU football program, bulked up over time, similar to Holker uh, during his career. So, and then uh, had an awesome NFL career. Exactly. And was on his way to being one of the preeminent tight ends before those, those hip injuries. That's just right. absolutely devastating hip injuries with the Baltimore Ravens.
0: He really was like, he, he was making a name for himself. I remember fantasy wise, which I know is kind of stupid, but like, honestly, that is a pretty good gauge a lot of times. Um, Pitta was, like, one of the talked-about tight ends. Like, it's, like, that's who we want on my tight end, like, for my roster, fantasy roster, things like that. But um, speaking of kind of maybe Holker up and coming, not not necessarily up and coming because he's a name that we already know and he was awesome. But, like, what other rising stars might we want to, like, we look on the lookout for this year?
1: Uh, on the offensive side of the football if you want another tight end that's I think going to start to emerge this year is Ethan Erickson uh, he is a guy that Aaron Roderick has highlighted multiple times he's a guy out of Kahuku High School in Hawaii uh, funny enough he's about as wide as they come even though he played <laughs> in Hawaii uh, really really uh, talented player and they, they really feel like he is going to be a guy to keep an eye on uh, I think folks are going to be absolutely enthralled with Kingsley Suamata I know that he got a lot of headlines as a five-star transfer coming in but you don't come into this offensive lineup being and unseat a multi-year starter in Harris Lachance at right tackle for nothing. I I was just going to say,
0: he's not even listed as a one, which is like like he was such a big transfer, big deal. But anyway, keep going.
1: Well, they they can put the ore there all they all they want, but he, yeah. if he it, he's going to be out there at right tackle, I I, I think that BYU fans are going to fall in love with what Kingsley can throw out there on the field, and I, I think he's a he's a future star for BYU. Uh, on the defensive line, keep an eye on Tyler Batty. I know that people have heard his name a lot, and he's kind of been up and down. I think this is the year he finally busts out. He's done a ton of work with Jan Jorgensen, who is the BYU career sack leader, was the Mountain West Conference career sack leader for a time before that was broken a few years back. Uh, He's done a ton of work, especially on his pass rush ability with Jan Jorgensen. We've seen it with our own eyes in the media portions. Uh, keep an eye on him. He could break out this year and that could be a welcome addition to this BYU defensive line, just getting some extra pressure on opposing quarterbacks. It's a critical, critical element that BYU has been lacking defensively and he may be able to bring it. So those are probably some of the guys to keep an eye on. And I just, I expect, Oh, by the way, one other guy, Keep an eye on what Ben Bywater is going to do for an encore this year. He had 100 tackles a year ago. I know that Keenan Peely's back. I know that Peyton Wilgar's back. But I think Ben is really ready to step into being a star for this BYU defense at linebacker.
0: Love that. Before I get to one person that I want to bring up, who I'm surprised you didn't mention, but maybe that's because I'm wrong. Um, Jan Jorgensen, quick tidbit on him. Uh, Mm -hmm. He's getting some praise. Is he a grad assistant technically?
1: He is officially a football analyst. Oh, That's football that, analyst. That is his okay.
0: title. Yeah. So he's getting some early praise as a coach. I mean, he spent some mm-hmm. time at Snow, right, before coming? Correct. What, he was, defensive coordinator at Snow, yeah. Yeah, so he needs to work his way up just like anybody else, which I like. I can appreciate that.
1: But yeah.
0: one thing I would point out about Jan Jorgensen, like he had a, obviously had a radio career there for a little bit, but then it seems like maybe he may have found his lane in coaching because mm-hmm. when you look at his actual career – he never really had a shot at the NFL, but he was awesome as a defensive end at BYU because he I, he was undersized. That's why the NFL never even gave him like really a, a, a really good chance. I mean, I know I think he got like some looks potentially, but he never really like made a roster anywhere. It's because he was right. so undersized. But those undersized guys that still find that type of success on his level, and it was legitimate because he did very well against actually good teams. He was an undersized guy, but made it work. Those are the type I think you want coaching because they're very technical.
1: Mm -hmm. So you take him
0: and you give him some like real size, some athletic ability. I think that's a great combination.
1: Well, yeah, you're right. The the technical aspect of pass rush is something that he understands at a deep level because that's how he got by at BYU. He was never the most physically gifted defensive lineman BYU's had, trust me. There were dudes on that team who probably outclassed him uh, just athleticism-wise, but he outworked them. He was more technical than them, and that's what got him uh, to do what he does. And you're right, that, that, that translates now directly to what he's doing in the coaching ranks, and BYU's a big beneficiary, I think, of that.
0: Absolutely. The guy you didn't mention... Who I believe mm-hmm. sounds like the inverse of Ethan Erickson because you said Ethan Erickson comes from Kahuku High School, but is about as white as yeah. it gets.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Gabe Summers, who comes from, sure. I think, Harriman.
1: No, hey, my neck of the woods, Saratoga Springs, oh, Utah, Westlake High School. That's right. Yeah,
0: Westlake. That's right. That's right. Westlake High School. Uh, white bread as it gets, white name in my mind. Maybe that's <laughs> racist to me. I'm sorry. Whatever. Gabe Summers, uh-huh. I believe, is Polynesian.
1: Yes, he's a, he's a cousin of Chaz Ayu, by the way. He's a part of the Ayu clan.
0: Love that, love that. There were some Ayu ties to Alta High School, where I went, by the way. Yeah. Um, okay, Gabe Summers. That's the one that stood out to me at the Blue and White mm-hmm. scrimmage. This guy yeah. was a, up against the ones on uh-huh. the offensive line, and that dude was getting after it. I thought. I thought Gabe Summers. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to make a splash. Personally, what do you think?
1: You want to talk about a guy like Jan Jorgensen who's not the most physically gifted but is, like, is about as technical as they come, it's, it's Gabe Summers. They call him Gumby. That's his nickname. Uh, on <laughs> I the didn't Be- know that. He's not the tallest. He's not the biggest. He's not the fastest. He, he's not the he's not the strongest guy. But what he does, he just makes plays. You're right. He, he's a, he's going to be a guy to keep an eye on. I and if you want another defensive lineman that I think is going to have a resurgent year this year, Lorenzo Fawatea. He's dealt with a back injury for two years now. Uh, I think people forget how good he was in 2019 and 2020 before that injury. I think now he's back fully healthy. The defensive line for BYU was much maligned a year ago, and for good reason because they struggled like there's no doubt about that. But if guys like uh, Gabe Summers, uh, Tyler Batty, Lorenzo Fawatea, if they can really get back and play the the level that we've seen them so far do in training camp, I think the defensive line could get back to actually being pretty good for BYU.
0: And I'm just going to say it. I think we're going to be really good because for the first time, I think our depth is legit in most areas, not all, as you said, the DBs, the secondaries. We might have some trouble there with the twos and threes, but Everywhere else, I feel like we are pretty stacked. Anyway, that's just me gushing as a fanboy. Anyway, um, is Conover ready to take over if Hall goes down? And, like, I ask that, and knock on wood, obviously, right? Hall is so yeah. talented, so gifted. Huh? Like, he has a legitimate shot at the NFL if he has a good year this year. Sure. I do. That's the last thing I want for him, but he just has a history of it, so it's there. It's the elephant in the room. Say Hall goes down a game or two. Is Conover ready to take over this squad?
1: I think he's better uh, suited this year than he has been at any point in his BYU career so far. He acknowledged that he had uh, some uh, some mental health issues a year ago, especially anxiety. That was one of the main things he he's, he's talked about this on the record. There are, there are videos out there. You can go search them out. He talks about the fact that he had some performance anxiety issues that I think really affected him. What I have seen in training camp, and let me be very clear, in the media portion of the training camp that we were able to watch, it's 20, 30 minutes at the very most. So we're watching just a smidgen of what practice has entailed, but he is impressed both in uh, spring ball and in training camp with his command of this offense. Do I think that if a guy like Jaron Hall gets injured, that Jacob Conover comes in and BYU operates the offense the exact same way? Absolutely not. He is not Jaron Hall. He's not Zach Wilson. You you have to to morph the offense a little bit to accentuate his strengths, which are more making plays from the pocket, that type of stuff. But I do think if they do need to call upon him, because you're right, Harper, Jaron Hall, he hasn't had a healthy season in his BYU career. You cannot bank on that at this point, even though we're all hoping it comes to fruition. You just can't bank on it. I think that Jacob Conover is more than capable as being that stopgap this year. But you would have liked to have Baylor Romney still still in the wings, I'm not going to lie.
0: I was a big Baylor Romney proponent, um, yeah. probably probably for better or for worse. I probably <laughs> thought he was better than he really was. But I actually, from day one, I was like, this guy can pass. Like, he like not- he throws guys open in a way that Zach Wilson actually had to really learn. I feel like, it, if I felt like it came more natural to Baylor Romney, but anyway, what a. At beating a dead horse there, and that's neither here nor there, quite frankly um, so that'll be interesting to see if it comes to that hopefully not I didn't I forgot about the mental health stuff that he said it kind of like performance anxiety through that. I, mm-hmm. I have a little pause when I hear that only because the other BYU quarterback to be very open about that was Tanner Mangum and clearly he struggled now full disclosure I know Tanner on a personal level and yeah there are few nicer people that i've ever met in my life he he is as genuine as it gets he's one of those that like i met him once i golfed with him had an awesome not 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 literally awesome golf round but just like an awesome time <laughs> hanging out with yeah. tanner and his brother uh madison um great guy just a good person was very open about his mental health stuff he really struggled he really yeah. struggled in his BYU career. That's just – that call a spade a spade. Not in life. The guy's killing it. He's working at Nike and, and doing really well, doing great things. Sure. But as a quarterback at BYU, he, we had every reason to believe that he was going to be wildly successful and it just quite didn't pan out, obviously. And so that's why when I hear that with Conover, I'm kind of like, uh-oh.
1: Is that going to well, be another thing? Yeah, you're not the only one though. That it brings a stigma down. There's no, there's no doubt about it. It is going to be be a stigma. And let's say Jacob Conover. Let's say this is the final year we see Jaron Hall in a BYU uniform. He has a great year, He goes off to the NFL, and Jacob Conover is the guy in 2023 leading BYU into the Big 12. Let's say he struggles in one or two of those games. You know what? People are going to point to mental health. Is is he having a research, a recurrence of those issues? It, it, it's a very, very bold thing for him to go out there and acknowledge he's had these issues, but it's a two-edged sword. It's both praiseworthy, and it's also going to bring detractors out of the woodwork if you do struggle.
0: Yeah, in an effort to destigmatize it, it can yeah. compound the issue when, when things get really rough, obviously, right? Correct. So, and Correct. best wishes to him. I mean, that's nothing, that's nothing to be trifled with, and I, I take that seriously, too. It's a real thing, and I'm glad people are speaking about it more openly. I really am, because it should be destigmatized. But sports is a completely different avenue when it comes to these things, and oh yeah, they, they, you know if it, it doesn't really matter what's affecting your play, if you're not playing well, it just whatever. People are people have a short leash and short patience for that kind of thing, right? So best wishes, yeah. best of luck to Jacob Conover, obviously, and so hopefully it doesn't come to that, and hopefully he just battles it fine. Hopefully Jaron Hall stays healthy and just the best of both worlds, and then Conover can maybe take over next year, right? Because he, I've heard great things about him. That's why I asked you.
1: Yeah, well, he's he's a he's a four star talent. Like, the, there's a reason why programs all over the country are recruiting him Nick out of Saban. Arizona.
0: Yeah, Nick Saban so. specifically wanted Conover. He went after him, gave him a gave him an offer. Didn't take it. Yep. Chose BYU instead. You gotta love that. How do you not love a guy like that, right? Okay, um, yeah. as we kind of close out, and obviously we took way more time than I thought we would, but that was that was bound to happen. Thanks again for coming go, on, man. It's been awesome. Go, like, I love having you on. If I could have you on every week, I would do it, man. But I wouldn't dare try and take that time away from you. Um, Last question that you are probably not really qualified to answer, but uh, when am I ever qualified to talk about any any of the things I talk about on this podcast? How is Utah going to do this season?
1: Uh... In a word, I think they're really good. I, like, I, I think that they make another run at, at, at a Pac-12 title. I think they make another run at the Rose Bowl. Uh, the, the whole thing with the college football playoff deal, it's an invitational, folks. I'm not 100% convinced that 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 the, 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 the power players the be – want a Pac-12 team, the caliber of Utah. And this this is nothing against Utah. This is both uh, just an SEC bias, a Big Ten bias. This is the the TV people out there, ESPN. They want the big brands in those games. That's what they prefer in the playoff. So I I think Utah makes another run at a Pac-12 title game. I think if they make it to the Rose Bowl, that's a fantastic, fantastic thing because the Rose Bowl to me, and I think you and I, we're, we're of a similar age, Harper. The Rose Bowl for me growing up was like, this place looks awesome. Yeah. January 1, it's like 70 degrees. It's in Southern California. Like That is like the the place to be in college football in my mind every single year. The playoff, okay, great. It's, it's, that's cool. You can win a national title over here. The Rose Bowl to me is like just glorious. So if Utah can make another run at a Pac-12 title A and make another Rose Bowl, I think that is more than enough in my mind for it to be a fantastic year if you're a U. Having
0: that rose stem in your mouth is iconic. That's iconic. That was the coolest. That was way cooler than a bag of Tostitos, Tostitos (laughs) corn chips, or uh, an orange. I mean, like Uh seriously, Having a rose in your mouth was like, that is the coolest freaking thing you could do as a college football player. I'm with
1: you there, man. The fact that Utah could put a rose on their decal on their helmets was just awesome. Yeah, not wrong. It was a great look. So, yeah, I think they make another run at the Rose Bowl this year. I think they're going to be really, really good. Uh, As any season could go for BYU, for Utah, injuries could derail that. But going into this year, I think both BYU and Utah fans, they're going to have some fun this year. I think there's going to be two very good years coming up. So at
0: the same time, I can appreciate your gamesmanship while also being like, well, I'm going to be the bold one here because I don't make any bones about it. You probably didn't catch this, but like last week's podcast, I freaking just put them on blast because I actually heard it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I had my own buddy actually comment on that and he's like, yes, I had to listen. Of course I did. And he's like, I think your take on Utah's asinine. He's a huge Utah fan. right? Like we're talking season ticket holder and everything. Like he yeah. loves him. He's okay. way more connected, way more in tune than I'll ever be. But uh-huh. I don't know, man, what'd you think? What'd you think about my theory comparing him to Riley Nelson? Now I just said cut from the same cloth. Obviously he is sure. Cam rising is way more talented than Riley Nelson. But what'd you think about that? Saying that they're kind of similar in terms of they get a lot more credit than they should from an athletic perspective and their ability. Versus just what they're able mm-hmm. to do on the field as a captain, as a commander of their
1: team. I can see where you're coming from. Let me let me let me acknowledge that because you're right. Is Riley was Riley Nelson the best thrower of the football? Absolutely not. Like there were similar to the Jan Jorgensen comparison we made earlier right. t- uh, earlier in the show. There were better "quote unquote" arms and quarterbacks on that roster, but the ability in a key moments to make a key play. Cam Rising, Riley Nelson have that in their bag of tricks. And trust me, that is something that there are quarterbacks would kill to have that skill in their bag of tricks. And so I don't think the comparison is completely out of bounds because, yeah, I do think Cam Rising is a better quarterback, like a pure quarterback, than Riley Nelson. But that just that that in-game ability to make a play when you need it the very most, they're – They're right there for, yeah, cut out of the same cloth. You're dead on.
0: Yeah, and the thing that comes to mind is the bowl game against Tulsa when Riley Nelson was like, he called the play. He called the play. This was so Uh cool. Like, we just got within, we just scored, it was like 27-28. I can't remember who we were playing Mm -hmm. at the time. Um, Or or sorry, it was the Tulsa Bowl, right?
1: In the Armed Forces Bowl, yeah. It was
0: was versus Tulsa, sorry. It was against Tulsa 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 in the Armed Forces Bowl. Uh And it was like 27-28 or something like that. We scored a touchdown to go down one, and it's like less than a minute left in the game. Cody Hoffman right there on the side. And Riley Nelson just throws a sign out there, calls it on his own, which was to go for two off of a – or am I getting – I might be getting some of the details wrong here. It might have been a touchdown at this point.
1: So they were actually, they scored the touchdown to win the game. It was a play called red alert. That that was, but he did. He signaled out. They, they didn't, they went no huddle on That's it. That's what
0: it was. The it was game. no huddle and it was
1: a fake spike. Exactly. Fake spike. He throws it up. Cody Hoffman goes up and gets it. Win the game.
0: Yeah. And it was instead of, instead of spiking it, which I don't think we had any timeouts. And instead of huddling yeah. up, which they could have done because they had time on the play clock. He just said, hey, and he pretended that they were going to do a spike. Does a fake yeah. spike tosses it to Cody. Off. it was a brilliant play, Colin. It was someone only with the tenacity that Riley Nelson had. Like, someone like him that has that type of tenacity is going to be able to pull off. That's a Cam Rising-type move. His athletic ability is obviously better, so I'm not saying that. I just want to reiterate that. But my overall point being, now he's a guy that teams can plan for, and if you look at Riley Nelson's senior year, he actually Mm -hmm. lost the starting job to Taysom Hill at one point then Taysom got, gets injured, Riley uh-huh. Nelson comes back. So I'm saying maybe some of it will die down because all of a sudden teams can plan for him better. Um, maybe they'll see that his athletic ability isn't quite maybe what we thought it was. I don't know. That's all I'm saying is that's all completely speculative. Would I even bet on it? Of course not. Utah yeah. could be amazing. They could make a freaking playoff. They could make the Rose Bowl, like you said. I don't, I'm just saying it's, it's possible. That's all.
1: Hey, if they're going to give the ball to my, to my boy, the pig farmer, Bryson Barnes, uh, that would be kind of fun to watch too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, there you go. I don't actually know much about this Bryson Barnes guy, but is he, is he the QB
1: two? Yeah, he's from Milford, Utah. He grew up on a pig farm, like thousands of hogs on his family's farm. And he that's what he worked, but he played at Milford High School, a one A school, uh, set all kinds of records running a spread of offense at Milford. Uh, a lot of people discounted the fact he's playing one A football during his high school days and were like, he's never gonna be a D one guy, but he had D one skills. He had the size, the ability, the arm. Utah picked him up as a walk-on, and to his credit, he has beaten out Jaquindon Jackson, who is a former four-star talent in his own right to be the backup quarterback behind Cam rising this year. That is
0: news to me cuz they were they were this Jaquinden guy, they were talking of him up big time. Like he actually sounded pretty legit.
1: And and JQJ's they call him Jaquinden Jackson, he made a big big move this offseason. He looked really really good. I've talked to enough people up there at Utah who thought that he was going to be the number 2 quarterback, but to Bryson Barnes credit, his consistency day in and day out apparently has won him that backup job at least for the time being.
0: Amazing. Well, if we keep talking more about Utah, I'm going to have to rebrand this t- podcast, so we don't want to do that. And I got to let you go, Jake. Thanks so much for coming on. Once again, it is at Jacob C. Hatch on Twitter. Also, producer of the DJ and PK morning show on 1280 The Zone and 97.1. So you can catch him there because you, I mean, you give a lot of your tidbits there too. They let you chime in on things left and right. So.
1: Yep, I'm just a, as I described. We're we're along for most people's commute. Uh, DJ's probably in the in the passenger seat. PK's uh, right behind the driver, kicking the seat. I'm the dude with the foot on the hump that's trying to keep everything in order.
0: That sounds about right. And in order, you do, my friend. You kill it. You're doing great. You're jack of all trades. You're in everything. Busy man. Thanks so much for taking the time for coming on once again, Jake. You have a good one, man. Go Coops. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Thanks again to Jake Hatch for coming on the podcast. Um, And furthermore, just for all of you for taking the time to listen to my my thoughts and my take on some things and the feedback that you've all given me. And that's one thing I wanted to address as I kind of close out here in the kind of the spiritual thought segment of the podcast that I like to end on usually, um, is that I've gotten a lot of feedback specifically about the episode from a couple weeks ago, Why Is Everybody Leaving the Church? And uh, first of all, I appreciate all of it. Like I said, I uh, you're all so kind. The feedback was awesome, and it's it's exciting to see kind of who this can help. And and the the feedback that I've gotten from people that I don't know that have reached out to say that they appreciate kind of my sentiment and my words, and um, encouraging me to keep moving forward, and that helps a ton. While at the same time, I encourage everybody else to be a voice for good, to be a voice for the gospel, because we need more of that. We're seeing a growing. Uh, segment of enemies towards the church now we've always had people that aren't in the church um but we have not really had this strong segment of opposition to the church not in this dispensation at least certainly i mean at times you had it obviously when the church started but since then the church kind of greased its wheels got things going and really kind of stayed out of the limelight for a long time and it's not until recent i feel like that we're seeing the church kind of be like they're just casting shade at the church as much as possible just trying to make us Sound like we're this demonic, evil, terrible people. And, you know, the the situation at BYU is a perfect example of that because they know BYU is an extension of the church. And so whenever there's an opportunity to cast BYU or the church in a negative light, they'll do it. And that's that growing segment that I'm talking about. And so we do need to have people that are more encouraged to speak boldly. Now, boldly doesn't mean rude. Bold doesn't mean mean. It doesn't mean unloving. It just means standing for what you believe in. And I'm a firm believer that we need to have a stronger uh, crowd of the church that does that. People that are zealous about, me, about their beliefs as members of the church. Anyway, so anyway, thank you again for that feedback. Um, and there were some of you who provided other feedback in forms of kind of like what else they thought is why reasons of people leaving the church. One that came to mind almost immediately for myself, and some had pointed this out too, was the church history. A lot of people may struggle with church history. Now, that one kind of falls under the organizational structure that I talked about and how it, it's, if it's you know, built by imperfect men and women, it's going to be run imperfectly. Just That's the fact, and that's kind of what history goes into some of that. And I think a lot of times people use church history as a crutch when it comes to other problems that they may have. If their testimony may not be that strong and they're looking for an excuse to abandon the testimony and their beliefs, then they may point to the history I think a lot of times that happens. Um, that doesn't mean it's not worth addressing still. And I'd like to address that more fully at a time that feels right and feels like I'm more prepared to do so. I have to be careful in my approach here because I'm far from an expert in the realm of church history. I know, I know about some random topics like Mountain Meadows Massacre is one that I'm pretty well versed in. I, I found that whole situation pretty fascinating um, and, and terrible. I mean, fascinating and terrible and really, really sad. And is not, it does not make the church look good, even a little bit. Um, but I would maybe like to bring somebody on that's a more of a kind of a church historian at some point that could really do, you know, give it the justice that it deserves. Um, and we could maybe talk and have a conversation about that. So I'm still kind of looking into that, but there's a, there's quite the lineup of schedules that I've got basically for the next couple months. So I'm not sure when I'll be able to fit that in. Um one thing that struck me as kind of interesting as I ruminated a little bit over the last that, that that episode specifically which was you know why are people leaving the church why is everyone leaving the church is that we're seeing a large swath of younger people specifically leave the church um, for one reason or another I'm not entirely sh- I'm not entirely sure you can pin it down to just a couple of reasons um, but one thing I do think that does not sit well with the younger generation is that A lot of times we want to have more proof of reasons of why we should be a part of the church. They want maybe direct answers from God. They want to feel like he truly not only is guiding the church, but guiding his members very individually, which he is. But here's the problem is that it takes a lot of work to do that. And one thing that came to mind is like, what is it? What is the thought process behind those that get hung up in those details of maybe feeling like, well, I'm a member of the church, I've been baptized, I have the Spirit with me, the gift of the Holy Ghost, then why do I not feel like I'm being pushed or pulled in a specific direction? And this is what came to my mind, and I actually wrote a lot of this down just a few days ago, is that God will answer us when we have used the resources he has already given us. So it's kind of that whole concept that when it comes to the church and being born in the church, uh, at this age, in today's day and age, in this dispensation with so many resources just right at the tip of our fingers, we can go so many different places to find all the information we need for better or for worse, obviously, what, then what are we supposed to do with it? You know, a lot of times it's kind of that same idea where like people that are born in the United States and in this day and age that w- were born on third base, but they thought they heard it hit a triple. Um, or they think they hit a triple. It's kind of the same concept in the church. And one thing that I actually wanted to point out, too, that I absolutely love, which comes out of Mormon. uh, Near the end of Mormon, it's Moroni specifically writing in these verses, and he's talking about their imperfections. And he's saying, I don't want you all to judge us by our imperfections, which I actually love. I love that Moroni had the wherewithal to be like, well, how are there, how are the Gentiles in the, in the last days going to read our words? How are they going to take it in? And he had that concern because he felt inadequate, which, yeah, maybe have a little more confidence, Moroni. But I also get it, too. I get it. Um, and in the specific verse I'm pointing to is Mormon 931, where it says, Condemn me not because of mine imperfections, neither my father because of his imperfection, neither them who have written before him, but rather give thanks unto God, that he hath made manifest unto unto you our imperfections, that ye may learn to be more wise than we have been. We were born on third base, and we have all the people behind us that hit a single, that hit a double, that actually hit a triple, and then we were born. We can look back, and we can look back at their mistakes, we can look at their progress, and all we can do is just build upon what they've already built, an amazing foundation, right? It's standing on the shoulders of giants. So I looked up that scripture in the Scriptural Citation Index. I wanted to see which... Uh, prophets and apostles have shared that in general conference. And lo and behold, one of my favorites, Elder Maxwell, in October 1984, shared that verse, and he specifically cited Lorenzo Snow. So he's actually, it's Elder Maxwell in his own talk, quoting Lorenzo Snow. And Lorenzo Snow says, I can fellowship the president of the church. He said, if he does not know everything, I know I saw the imperfections in Joseph Smith. I thanked God that he would put upon a man who had those imperfections the power and authority he placed upon him, for I knew that I myself had weakness, and I thought there was a chance for me. I thank God that I saw these imperfections. I love that. I love that so much because I think a lot of times we get caught up in the idea that the church should be perfect, so ergo, um, everybody that runs it should be perfect too, and it's couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, we look at prophet, like the prophet today. President Hinckley is like salt of the earth. We all loved that man so much. That's one I look back to a lot because he was the prophet of my childhood. And I loved President Hinckley because he just seemed like this amazing example of what a prophet should look like. I think President Nelson does a, lot of, a good job with that as well. Not to say President Monson didn't, but there just seemed to be a certain connection that I felt with these two. And I, I truly believe that these men would actually look to it and say, well, yeah, it's because Joseph Smith, it's because Brigham Young, John Taylor, they had to pay the piper. They had to really be put through the ringer in order to establish what it is that a prophet of the church should look like. And it was hard on them. And they had the world coming down on them. Anyway, I feel like I'm getting kind of off on a tangent here. But going back to the reason why maybe some of the younger generation has problems with the church Like, that might be part of it, their perception that it should be perfect, or that they should be directly pushed or pulled in a direction. But I believe that, truly, what the church asks of us, what God asks of us, is to use the resources he's already given us, right? That foundation that I was just mentioning. Which, part of that comes with these bullet points that I've written down. The scriptures, prayer, honesty with ourselves, good friends and family who are also converted, Honesty plays into that as well because you need to be honest with yourself to trust who is being honest with themselves. Fasting, oh, going back to that real quick, that means you don't want to just go to people that you know will tell you what you want to hear. It'll be people that will be honest and direct with you. Fasting, once again, an an amazing tactic and all that. And then just having reason, rationale, right? That's that intellectual honesty. I cannot emphasize that part enough. And once again, wanting to be pushed or pulled directly one way or other by the Spirit, but truly I believe the Spirit primarily acts as a confirmation of our righteous actions, not as much of a guide. We are guided by our true desires to live righteously, and the Spirit sanctifies our actions. The Scriptures are replete with examples of when the Spirit was that push-pull guide for a figure of the Book of Mormon. Right out of the gate, it's Lehi being told to escape Jerusalem from its impending destruction, and then quickly after, it's Nephi being told how to receive the, retrieve the plates. From the younger, an angel comes down and course-corrects him. We see the Nephites being guided by the Spirit in war, right? So those are examples of being pushed or pulled in a certain direction. But how often do we see the Spirit act as a confirmation, which is kind of a sanctification of the actions that we have to make based on the resources that we have available to us? I think it's all the time. I think you can go through the Book of Mormon and see that all the time. It was confirmed by the Nephites that Jerusalem was, in fact, destroyed, not just by the Spirit, but also by coexisting with the Mulekites, right? Mulek was the son of Zedekiah, who was the last king of Jerusalem before the Babylonians destroyed it. We see it in Enos being forgiven of his sins after he prayed all day and all night. We see it with Alma the Younger in a beautiful message saying that God, in fact, does grant to us what we desire, whether it be unto death or unto life. We see it in war with the process that Captain Moroni had to go through to defeat the Lamanites in one of the most documented wars in the Book of Mormon. What did Moroni do? He fortified the weak cities and was able to goad the Lamanites into entrapments that ultimately led to the end of the war. Moroni did so because he was already a man of God and confirmation was given to him by winning the war and reestablishing peace in the land. Nephi and Helaman has his calling and election made sure, or at least the sealing powers, which is confirmation that his actions are always of God. As much comfort that might come to us for always being directly guided by the Spirit and being told what to do, that's not what we signed up for, right? Where does faith play that role? We have to make the decision first, have to feel confident in that, and then it will be confirmed. If we were constantly pushed or pulled in any which way direction by the Spirit, then the only thing that we would actually learn in those moments is to wait around until we're told what to do and to trust ourselves less. We still have eternity to figure this out. And unfortunately, it looks like it's going to take just about that long for a bunch of us to figure it out. Sitting on my table, I'm watching As everything's changing my mind go to a different time Oh love I remember falling so madly There must have been magic in the valley And a rhythm in the night I could almost see it Did you
1: fade right out of view If it takes time